You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 60. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. For the past month or so on the podcast, we have been focusing on the distribution end of wildlife and conservation filmmaking, with interviews highlighting film festivals and other routes for reaching audiences. This has been in part inspired by our efforts here at Wild Lens to launch a brand new environmental film festival here in Boise, Idaho, called Le Bois Film Festival. This event will be taking place on March 5th, just a few days after this episode airs, uh, and will be taking place at the Egyptian Theater in downtown Boise. Now, as a way to bring this topic full circle, today's interview will be about the festival that really started it all as far as environmental film festivals are concerned the International Wildlife Film Festival in Missoula, Montana. The International Wildlife Film Festival, which we'll be referring to as IWFF throughout the interview, was the first film festival on the planet to focus specifically on wildlife and the environment. IWFF's inaugural event was held way back in 1977, and it was specifically created to address ethics in wildlife filmmaking. There was great concern within the conservation community at the time, and this does still persist today, that many wildlife filmmakers were using unethical practices to capture animal behavior on film. We'll list some of the more egregious examples of this uh, on the show notes page for this episode, which you can check out at wildlensinc.org slash eoc60. IWFF has undergone many changes over the years, but it remains one of the most prestigious wildlife and conservation-oriented film festivals in the world, on par with Wildscreen in the UK and the Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Festival here in the US. Today's guest, Mike Steinberg, has served as IWFF's executive director for the past three years, and he walks us through how these changes have shaped the festival. In addition to sharing some of the history behind IWFF, Mike and I also discuss more broadly the role of the film festival in our constantly changing world of modern filmmaking. As someone with 20 plus years of experience in film programming, Mike has a very interesting perspective on the role of the film festival, and I think that all of our listeners will appreciate this. Let's jump in. All right, I am here with Mike Steinberg, who is the executive director of the International Wildlife Film Festival. How are you, Mike? I'm great. How are you doing, Matthew? Fantastic. Thanks a lot for coming on the show today. Um, I'm going to start off by asking you to just tell me a little bit about the history of the International Wildlife Film Festival. How and why was this festival founded? Well, the festival was founded in 1977 um, by Chuck Jonkel. Chuck uh, is and was a bear biologist. He's actually retired now, but a bear biologist at the University of Montana. And the intention was to develop a festival of films that presented wildlife uh, in an ethical way. There were challenges with the industry at the time. It was much more, I don't know, there was a lot of questions about, you know, how animals were being represented and for why. I mean, there was a lot of this sort of, uh, you know, Bob's going to go over and pet the crocodile now, you know. And so um, as a reaction to that, um, Jonkel wanted to get um, scientists and filmmakers together to uh, advance 
wildlife filmmaking um, in the realm of, you know, to make it ethical, to make it, um, to get the science true in the, um, in the, in the cinema, basically. Are, are there any comparable film festivals that have been uh, around for any longer? Um, well, the IWFF is the oldest and longest running wildlife film festival in the world. Uh, we were just kind of looking around and saying, you know, the 70s were a great time in the U.S. for the development of film festivals. There's quite a few that, that started then. Um, so we were looking uh, online just to try to say, what is the oldest festival in the, in the world? It, it happens to be the Venice Film Festival. Um, the other events that are like IWFF, I mean, I should say things like the Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Festival or Wild Screen. I mean, they're they're not nearly as old. Um, they're they're specialized in different ways, I suppose, um, and certainly have their own great audience. Um, but the the fact is that yeah, IWFF was the beginning of this idea, and from there, you know, n- not just sort of strict wildlife film festivals, but I really think the kind of modern eco fest or environmental film fest sort of grows out of that idea of presenting um, cinema and, again, ethical cinema and scientifically factual cinema um, that allows audiences to connect with the natural world or, in some cases, as we see in this kind of modern trend for environmental film, get involved, find ways to connect an audience so they can do something to make change. The International Wildlife Film Festival is the oldest and the longest-running uh, you know, wildlife-focused film festival, as you mentioned. Obviously, a certain amount of prestige, you know, comes along with uh, with that. Uh, I mean, it, what what kind of responsibility comes along with, uh, you know, the prestige associated with uh, IWFF? Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of prestige. You're right. I mean, we'll be 40 years next year, and we're you know this year we're you know we're about to put together the 39th, or it's about to happen. <laughs> we're not just about to put it together; it's going to happen. Um, but we're already obviously thinking about next year. We've been talking about it for a couple of years now, like what are we going to do for the 40th anniversary? I mean, it's a big number. And I mean, a number of, of events that I've personally been involved with, um, have been, you know, they varied. It's, it's, I guess it's, um, younger events that I've helped to kind of, uh, start, uh, and other events that I've stepped in, uh, and, and helped carry forward. And I think that's really the point is, there's a there's a degree of stewardship in something that's been developed, particularly when it's developed with a, a really sort of strong ethical foundation. And where I feel personal responsibility is in the selections of film and the content, and even not to get too crass about it, but the brand itself. We don't want to associate with unethical organizations, and we want to have best practices that help sustain the planet. So we do everything. That's not true. We don't do everything, we, but we do make an effort towards doing what we can to make things better. So the way, for example, we run our filmmaker guest bag uh, is it's all consumables. You know, there'll be nothing in the bag that's not, you know, um, usable either here in town, you know, uh, you know, a, a drink at a bar, or, you know, something from a bakery, whatever. We're not filling it up with plastic for people to take and throw away or leave in their hotel, <clears throat> leave in their hotel room or whatever. And I don't say it in that kind of snobby way, but I just think it's completely connected to what we're doing. I mean, why would we, why would we present the event that we present? And on top of that, you know, put this other layer of trash that really contradicts the message. So even in that way, it's, a, it's it might seem small or detailed or, and I hope it doesn't seem snobby. I'm a little self-conscious of it. Um, 
but it's our way, um, or it's another way that we can sort of, you know, walk the walk of what our organization has stood for for 40 years. So it, it sounds to me like like the mission has stayed pretty consistent over the course of the history of the event. But, you know, I, I am wondering just how the festival has changed over these past now 39 years. Yeah. I, you know, the mission, the core mission is completely intact. The, the notion that we're presenting films to engage audiences in the natural world um, for people to learn, you know, true science um, and understand a little something about the millions of other species that inhabit the planet with us. Uh, that's the core. Um, what's changed? Um, I mean, we've, we've grown, we've, uh, we've evolved. We purchased a, a, a historic movie theater in 2002 and it was utilized primarily for the festival. And within the last couple of years, actually, since I came on three years ago, um, we've really greatly expanded our capacity there and utilize the theater year round. So we, we are first run art house movie theater and, and, and are kind of the Roxy is the theater. We're branded as Missoula's community cinema. So there's a lot of, uh, first run titles. I mean, what's the big shorts on screen right now? I guess that's not terribly art house, but it is, you know, Academy award season. So we tend to show those kinds of films as well. Uh, but you know, films like Carol and the Danish girl and, uh, room were, were very popular here this fall as in, you know, one of our screens runs continuously. We also engage a lot with the community and, um, show programming that varies from, you know, let's say a, you know, climate change documentary that may have a connection to an environmental group in town to uh, wizard of Oz sing along on a Sunday afternoon. So it's really kind of community driven cinema um, and monthly, we present an IWFF selection, either wildlife or environmental in focus. Um, that's a huge change is to really utilize our, our theater and keep connected with our community. It's meant, at least in my tenure, that the audience has grown considerably. The connection to the community um, has been really reestablished. There was some kind of um, distancing, I think. A lot of our... Um, uh, events were happening out of town and, you know, they were really just designed for the guests, the folks that would come in, the delegates. And certainly we love those folks, but we also love our community and we want to connect them to what we're presenting and connect them to the people that we're bringing in for that matter. So we, we actually refocused and do a lot of what we do in Missoula. And it's such a great little town that it's, you know, why would you want to leave? You know, we try to do something at least this one thing we'll have a couple things for this year uh, that take us out of town on a day trip or something to see the beauty that's around here mission mountains or the bitter roots which are just you know both right in our backyard one other really big change that we've made again in the last three or four years is expanding our content beyond just wildlife films we show a great number of wildlife films probably at least 30 of the 50 films are really kind of pure wildlife films in this year's lineup um, but there's also climate change documentaries, films about, um, you know, environmental issues. Um, and, you know, we're not an eco-fest in that same sense that, a, you know, for example, that what they do in Portland, the Portland Eco-Fest is a great event. We're not that event, um, but our audiences really care about these issues that um, affect habitat, affect wildlife, and obviously affect us all. So we're inclusive of those types of films. Um, and I think... 
gosh, I don't know. I just think there's a trend towards that. And those human stories that intersect with wildlife stories are the ones that um, tend to really engage audiences in ways that, frankly, I don't think the the blue chip wildlife film can. I mean, there's obviously great value in those films. They're beautifully made. There's a kind of great legacy there. But there's a certain way that films um, that deal with environmental issues impact audiences. You're trying to reach the sort of local community in Missoula and just encourage people to come out and see films because they're fun, they're engaging, they're inspiring, right? But then you're also trying to, uh, you're trying to draw wildlife filmmakers and environmentally focused filmmakers to Missoula. Um, and you guys have all these workshop type events and events that, you know, filmmakers specifically would be very interested in, in, in attending. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe you can just sort of touch on, on that balance between like the filmmaker workshop component and, but also, you know, appealing to uh, just your average folks uh, within the community of Missoula. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think a big challenge for festivals um, I mean, they're often seen as kind of elite events. Um, filmmakers are mysterious characters <laughs> with baseball hats. Oh, that's in the 90s. I guess they don't wear them as much anymore. But um, <laughs> no, they're mysterious characters in the sense that they're they're kind of artists, uh, certainly, uh, but also um, business people. So there's kind of an intrigue. I mean, obviously, there's, there's well-known cliches around the filmmaker. Um, I don't know. I just, I personally, I just feel like, you know, the event, it's, it's, there's the connectivity here. So it can't happen without the films. Um, and it can't, it really can't happen without the community. So, um, finding ways to bridge those worlds, uh, is what's most interesting to me, but you're right. We do, we do some things to sort of serve the visiting filmmakers. Um, you know, we'll go on a field trip this year. Uh, down the Bitterroot, and we'll have a demo of a 360 camera um, and some VR um, making. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there would be a lot of people in our community who just have an interest in gadgetry and whatever who would be keen to do that. But that's not a public event. That's something we set up for the filmmakers. And there will be other kind of talks and ways to engage filmmakers while they're here. Um, but there'll be equal time to just kind of get them into Missoula. Check it out. This is where we live. This is our community. We're, we're very proud of Missoula. The other side of that is finding, you know, ways to make what we do appealing to our community. Um, there's, I mean, after being here now for 39 years, there's a, obviously a, a base that we can go right to and say, hey, we're back again in April. And, you know, there's folks, and I it's amazing, really. Missoula is a fun town. There are people who've been to the festival every year. They've always come. This is what they do. There are teachers in our community who just bring their students every year. We do a matinee program during the week that brings in something like 3,000 area school kids. And that's another way that we connect the community with the films because we also uh, bring our visiting filmmakers who are available uh, to those matinees. And so the kids will watch a film and then they'll get an opportunity to, to, to hear from the filmmaker. I think the other thing that this does um, that I love, uh, aside from like kind of, you know, finding ways to merge those communities that we have, is it the exchange that happens. So if you watch a film and you get a chance to talk to the filmmaker, on one hand, you feel like you saw that, you really saw that film. 
You know what I mean? You see it a lot more because you got to ask questions that weren't even in the film. You got to hear stories about how it was made, etc. Um, and this is for all audiences, not just for the children's matinee. It's just a really kind of enjoyable experience. But the other thing that it does, and this is maybe more so for the, the younger audience, although I wouldn't you know say that's exclusive. Uh, the other thing that it does is that potentially inspires people to make films themselves. Uh, you hear maybe the harrowing story of how someone got something done, or you see the tremendous, you know, uh, expression that they've made on screen. And you look, you look them over and you say, I could do that. Look at this. This guy did that. I could totally do that. So I love the inspiring aspect of that kind of merger of communities. I don't really think, I mean, you know, I, I try my best to make it balanced. I don't really take a, you know, real deliberate approach at that. Like say, Oh, we have too much of this, too much of that. It's kind of like a, it's like, it's like cooking, you know, if, if this too salty, well, you're supposed to put a potato in, I think that will take some of the salt out, but you know, <laughs> you just experiment in the kitchen. But, but because I think we are very, we're very focused and our vision is pretty clear. We know what we want to develop and what we, what we want to carry forward. There's a very organic process of, of the event that we put together. So I, I want to hear a little bit about about your background specifically, Mike. Um, how did you end up as the festival director for the International Wildlife Film Festival? Yeah, it's it's weird. I um, <laughs> I have a I have a um, like a 15 year background in film programming, but it's all um, in a kind of broader sense. Um, I worked for. 10 years at Webster University's film series, which um, was a wonderful program. It started in the 70s, started in 1979. It was kind of the classic film society. You know, the students on campus like wanted to see the Fellini movie. So they got together and put, scraped together some money or got the university to give them some money and they rented the movie, you know. And that grew into this um, year round screening series called the Webster Film Series. And we brought in tons of uh, filmmakers and um, we had a film school at the university. So it was nice to connect all of that as well. Um, did that for 10 years, programmed that for 10 years. Um, from there, I went to the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival, which brought me uh, living in Missoula. I had a lot of experience out here just, um, you know, visiting friends and, uh, you, know, you know, living for shorter periods of time. Um, but it brought me kind of to re established my roots here and i ran that program for five years it's a again a general documentary film festival nonfiction festival um, which is actually literally going on right now in missoula um, as we speak they're using the roxy as a venue this year and they're playing uh, films around town and some other venues um yeah did that for five years was very aware of the international wildlife film festival there was a period uh before big sky where i was actually a community judge. Um, my background is in filmmaking prior to the film programming. So I was brought on as um, a judge to kind of consider, you know, the technical and creative aspects of content. I was sat on a, you know, in a group with a, with an, an activist and with a scientist. And it was a really kind of rigorous, like we will watch all the films and Mike will give us the film guy perspective. And, you know, <laughs> the scientists will say whether, things were measured properly. Um, yeah. So that, so, so after big sky, I came over here, they were really in need of a, of a of new direction. My background is not in wildlife. It's not in conservation. It's not in, you know, in, in science in any way. It's very much as a filmmaker. 
and having that other those other experiences organizing both a year round program and a festival it's a natural kind of fit you know um, and in fact I don't think this organization needed a wildlife person per se to come in uh, where they were they really needed someone to come in and say well let's revamp the event and let's you know um, find ways to move this event forward and to evolve as a filmmaker at least it's I, I find it extremely helpful to get feedback from folks who have no background at all in science or wildlife or conservation um, because those are the people that you're trying to reach with the storytelling, right? Um, you're trying yeah. to reach people that, that haven't been exposed to an issue before or haven't been exposed to, you know, whatever message it is that, that you're presenting in a film or in a film festival. Um, and it, it, it helps to have that perspective because um, you're seeing the films in the same way that your audience would be seeing the films. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And we're, and it's uh, it's all storytelling is what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know earlier when you were talking about the kind of disconnect between the presentation of you know blue chip wildlife cinema um, and nothing against it, I enjoy it. It's beautifully made. It's extraordinary filmmaking, um, but there's often a disconnect even in the realm of storytelling. Like, no, this is just what happened. <laughs> you know, no, it's not. It's what you chose to tell us happened and what you were able to capture to make a story out of, et cetera. So obviously it's all fundamentally that, um, I mean, I love the, the power of the, of the wildlife film is such that it is this massive kind of advancement of a core thing that we have as humans, which, you know, whenever I, whenever I see films up on the screen, when we start, either in the programming process and certainly at the festival itself, when we've got an audience gathered around watching, you know, the predator uh, on screen, you know, stalking its prey, whatever, just to make it the most dramatic as possible. <laughs> I just think like, oh, yeah, I guess we used to do that a long time ago in a cave without advanced technology, right? It's the same thing. We would, or we would hide and watch what was going on. Now we just have such extraordinary technology the, and and the, but what's there at the root is this interest in watching you know that's i mean the the cinematic experience of wildlife is really just um you know a distant relative of the original experience of watching and we can of course do that today i mean the animals still exist but i just mean there's a phenomenon around it where you see an audience like totally engaged in watching that animal behavior that's just almost primordial it allows audiences to, um, to to see that type of behavior that they would maybe normally not be able to see or that they wouldn't even think to seek out. And maybe it inspires yeah. them to go out and I, see it in I, person, you know? I live in Missoula. I mean, there, there's kids in Missoula who won't ever see a giraffe, maybe. I mean, obviously, in a lot of places, people only see them in zoos. But um, kind of an understanding of the world that you live in, I mean, that can clearly come from looking at uh, the diversity of species that gets presented at something like the International Wildlife Film Festival. So as you and I are both well aware of, the world of filmmaking has undergone some really dramatic changes um, you know, over the past few decades since uh, the International Wildlife Film Festival was created, you know, technology changing, uh, allowing the tools that are needed to produce a film to become a whole lot more accessible. There are a lot more films being made. How have you seen film festivals in general respond to this really dramatic shift in the world of filmmaking? Well, I don't know. Film festivals are very complicated, as it turns out. <laughs> We're trying to do a very simple thing to present films that you know, in communities like Missoula that would otherwise not play 
Um, but there's so many moving parts and, um, in response to an industry, I mean, the, the IWFF is a, obviously a very, um, you know, niche, um, kind of event. I think we keep up with the technology as is appropriate for us. I'm, it's funny, I'm talking to you from the booth of the Roxy Theater and, I don't know if you were up here when you were in town, but I'm surrounded by essentially the history of broadcast mediums. There's 16 millimeter film and 35. There's VHS tapes. There's three quarter inch. There's Digibeta. There's HD Cam. You know, this is just rows and rows. The archive of the IWFF that goes back to the 70s. And um, so, you know, festivals. We're very lucky to have our own venue, um, but it also, uh, with that luck, comes the great responsibility of you know keeping it up and keeping up the technology um we have uh primarily because of the first run movies that we do uh we have dcp here so that allows us to really present state-of-the-art i mean it's the digital equivalent of 35 millimeter film um it's great filmmakers actually can buy a inexpensive app and make their own dcps and it looks wonderful um but we can also we're also pretty smart and scrappy here so we we can play um really nice beautiful hd quick times through uh hd native projector that we have um if that's not an option to make a dcp so i don't know the technological side of it keeping up with it i mean we're certainly not going to stay ahead of it not our organization i mean I've, I've seen some extraordinary 4k projection that's cool um we're not we're not gonna whatever that what's that uh cliche about keeping up with the Joneses, whatever that is in terms of media land, <laughs> we're not doing that. Um, but it is, I, I think on the other side of it, the production side of it, it's just great that stories can be told with uh, much less cost. Um, I mean, if you're going to be out in the field, you know, documenting, um, you know, leopards for eight months, uh, I would probably go armed with, you know, better than a DSLR, um, but the reality is if you're going to, if there's a local story you need to tell or there's, you know, I mean, even it, there's lots of options for getting way out in there with a small camera setup and the, and what gets captured these days is so much better, uh, looks so much better than, than what you, what you would used to see. I mean, basically my point is, um, it's not as hard to make a really good looking movie anymore because of the access to the technology. What's still essential, obviously, is a story and engaging an audience, finding ways to finding ways to do that that challenge us and interest us, and um, you know, ask us to ask ourselves questions. Not questions like what's going on in this movie, I don't understand it, but you know, questions like you know, what's going to happen next. I mean, it's all about storytelling, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly the one central thing that isn't going to change, right, is that it's all about good storytelling. Um, and it's a whole lot easier to go out and capture the footage now. But, you know, the, the process of, of telling that story um, hasn't really changed that much. Uh, just the means of getting there. Um, yeah, and you can throw in some beauty, I mean, more beauty, beauty shots than you can ever imagine. And if there's nothing underneath there, then what's the point, you know? Uh, I mean, it's it's clear that, you know, I think one of the responses uh, of sort of the film industry or whatever you want to call it to this just dramatic 
shift in the world of filmmaking is, you know, in addition to there being a whole lot more filmmakers out there and a lot more people making films because it's a lot more accessible. I mean, there are also a whole lot more film festivals now than ever before. And, you know, it seems like there's more popping up all the time. I mean, are, are, are there too many film festivals out there? I mean, have we reached this saturation point? Yeah, I don't know. If people don't come to the event, then I guess that's the evidence that there's just too many and, and you know, there's no point, there's no point in having the event. Um, you know, the, the IWFF had an event for several years, eight or nine years, that um, that was not well attended. It was called the Cinefest. It was a good idea, um, but it just didn't happen. And um, so there's an example that I could say in our own organization that was like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have been doing that. And what the what I think the event was interested in doing was being more of like an environmental film fest. And um, the, I think it works just as well to take some of that content and include it into IWFF. In fact, it works, as it turns out, better, as we've seen by the, the audience there. I, I mean, you know, I it's a, it, things are tough all over. And um, there are lots of towns the size of Missoula or, you know, the style of Missoula, whatever that means exactly, um, that are supporting an event. And, um, and I think it's fantastic, particularly if what is at, at the core of that event is, is kind of a humility for the community. Like you're doing it for the sake of the community. You're not doing it for some other kind of, you know, ego way, um, or some other ego reasons that, you know, that, that I think the event should be about, the filmmaker and about the films and bringing that to wherever you live. I don't know. I mean, I also, I also make films, Matthew. So I have a short narrative film out there and I'm on, um, film freeway, which is a, you know, online, uh, resource for filmmakers to submit to festivals. So yeah, for festivals and for filmmakers. Um, and every day I'm just like stunned, like, Oh my God, yet another film festival. What's this one? What's this one? What's it? And they just, I mean, you're right. The, the, the world is, uh, you know, ungestalt with filmmakers and films and festivals, as it turns out. Um, the fact that there are so many festivals to me just says there are so many films and, um, we'd love to be able to play, uh, even more films at IWFF. I don't, it's not really in our vision with the event to sort of grow it into so many more um, just for the sake of having more films. I mean, what we'd really like to do is grow audience. And I don't know, I'm talking around like five different things here, but I think that's really the reality of how complicated it actually is. We have that many festivals, whether they're well attended or not, because we have access to technology to make films. And, you know, I certainly can't speak even in a general way to what gets programmed because, I mean, I just don't know. I really don't know. Are the films that play in, okay, I'm from the Midwest. I'll pick on some place. Herman, Missouri. It's a real place. I don't think they have a film festival, though. Anyway, but are the films that play there not as good as the films that play in, you know, Boise or play in Portland or play in San Francisco? It's all that's that's I don't know. I mean, for that community, it's about what they want to see. It's about what their festival is representing for them. And maybe that's the bottom line, is that a festival, if it represents a community, then it just kind of deserves to be. Beyond that, I don't see the point. 
So I, I would imagine that, you know, a, a product of all these things we're talking about, all the changes in the filmmaking community, the fact that there's just a lot more people out there making really high quality films than there used to be. You know, I would imagine that um, IWFF sees some pretty high submission rates. What advice would you give to filmmakers out there who are maybe looking to submit a film to International Wildlife Film Festival? Um, well, I obviously I'll just go with story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's all it comes down to. I mean, yes, when you see, um, you know, multi-million dollar production and you're stunned, you as the programmer are as stunned as an audience, um, you know, that's that's the first layer that you have to get past. You can say, this is a beautiful film, beautifully made. The shots are amazing. They obviously had a lot of money, but is there something here? And certainly every year there are large budget films um, that don't make the cut because we, well, I mean, we are programming for our local audience as well. So there might be a question of whether or not that content is going to play here or not. Um, but it's, it's also, um, you know, I mean, it's a judgment on whether or not this story is well told or worth telling certain, certain content. We've just seen so many films over and over and over and over that, uh, climate change films, of course, are, pretty popular in some ways. Um, so it's a question of how that story gets told, knowing the other films that are in your canon. Um, and what are you really competing against? If you're making a climate change film, what else is out there? Um, and how are they doing it? How are you doing it different? Why should it be programmed over, say, the other three or four that are out there, 10 or 12? Um, in terms of true sort of, you know, pure wildlife filmmaking, um, obviously there's a, the, the bar is set pretty high by, you know, um, companies that have been, that, that have a lot of money to produce films and, um, money means time for wildlife filmmakers. So you can be out there with your subject for a lot longer and hopefully get, you know, better footage and tell better stories that way. So that's the challenge. I mean, I've, I've always wondered for really independent, um, wildlife filmmakers, um, you know, why take that kind of blue chip approach? It's, you just can't compete. Um, so it's got to be a lot more, it's just got to be story driven in a different way. Can't be as sort of cinematic as the blue chip. I don't know. I also think it's not a bad idea to sort of pull your audience in in the first five minutes. And I don't, and, and from a programming standpoint, obviously I want to know what's going on in five minutes. You know, I don't know if, if the film's going to, it's going to take me somewhere. And I don't mean you need a cold, every film needs a cold open, but I do think you need to find a place to start your story. That would be the biggest uh, piece of feedback that I think I could give to a filmmaker is really consider where your story starts. Does it start there or does it start five minutes later? So uh, once a film has been accepted into a film festival like the International Wildlife Film Festival, um, you know, how can filmmakers work with the folks at the festival itself to ensure that their screening is successful and they get the maximum exposure for their project? You know, I mean, life is life is just about relationships, ultimately. Um, so have a good relationship with the festival. <laughs> Give us everything we need. <laughs> Give us the print on time. Give us the materials we need. Give us the still. Give us, you know, if you've got other promotional materials, get them to us. We'll do everything we can to get an audience um, for that for that film, particularly if, as it's sad to say, I mean, particularly if we like you, right? If you like us and we like you, of course, we're going to do things to help. So I think it's there's a way of 
a way of being that is um, is realizing, in fact, that we're in it together. And um, over the years of working at different organizations, I mean, I've seen plenty of people who don't realize that we're all in it together. And that's too bad because we are. And that certainly makes it easy for anybody to make things work, right? If we, if, if we realize we're on the same page. The other thing is um, anything that you can do to connect to our community, um, the more you could do, I should say, the better. So if, you're, if you have a film that, oh, let's say you have a grizzly bear film, there's plenty of places around here um, that are concerned with that particular species. So reach out on your own or CC me on the reach out, you know, that any, any kind of groundwork that you can do to help drive an audience um, is, is always helpful. And I don't think any festival would say, eh, I don't know, let us make the call. I mean, the only realm where it can be a little tricky is uh, with press. Um, you know, uh, there's only so much space in the paper. Um, you know, I, I often work with filmmakers and say, you know what, we're going to promote um, your film. It's going to be part of our general promotion. It's going to be in this way. We're going to try to hype it to, to local press. But if you did it, it would be even better, right, on top of that, because mm-hmm. they're hearing from us <clears throat> all the time. I mean, like, oh, there's – it's not me, actually, but it's, there's, you know, Becca, there's the press, the press agent talking about something the IWFF is doing. And, you know, they're very generous. The local press is very generous to us. Um, and um, – but the, they must get fatigued, you know, like, oh, yes, I know – Steinberg says this film is amazing. <laughs> Yet another in a long line of films that Steinberg thinks are the greatest asset is a built-in constituency. So if you're bringing a film to Missoula uh, about a species, like I said, that are around here, there's lots of opportunities to connect with that constituency. If you're bringing something from far, far away, it can be challenging, you know, to find, for example, a rhino group here in Missoula. Although you'd be surprised. There's a lot of organizations that are interested in conservation. And I think if you think creatively outside of a box, for example, um, there's ways to connect with groups that might have a built-in interest for your for your film. This year's International Wildlife Film Festival is taking place April 16th through 23rd. And Mike, I'm just wondering you know, what, what you're most excited about about this year's event. I, I've had other experiences organizing events where I was really in kind of isolation in some ways until the event happened. And we're, we're not that way here, thankfully, because there's a lot of uh, feedback and communication that happens with our constituency, with our community, with filmmakers, et cetera, all year round. But the real excitement of the event um, and bringing everyone into the same room, as I said, is, uh, is what we get. And that's the experience of IWFF. Thanks a lot for coming on to the show, Mike. And I've been to the festival the last two years, and it, it's, it's always, always a super fun yeah. event. So. I'm excited to be out there again this year. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you, Matthew. All right. That was our interview with the executive director of the International Wildlife Film Festival, Mike Steinberg. I love Mike's diverse perspective on the world of filmmaking and his willingness to openly share some of the difficulties that he has faced as a film programmer and a festival director. Now, as you may have picked up on in the interview, Mike and I have gotten to know each other over the past couple of years through the time that I've spent at the International Wildlife Film Festival in Missoula. We've been lucky enough to have a Wild Lens film screening at this prestigious festival for the past two years running. And Mike has very graciously invited me to participate in this year's event as one of three festival judges. 
So once again, I will be traveling to Missoula in mid-April to attend the 10-day festival, mingle with fellow wildlife filmmakers, explore Montana's great outdoors, and watch lots of amazing wildlife documentaries. The difference this year is that I will be partly responsible for determining which films are worthy of winning IWFF's top awards. So, to learn more about this year's International Wildlife Film Festival, which will be taking place April 16th through 23rd, you can visit the show notes page for this episode, which you'll find at wildlensinc.org slash EOC60. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by The Humidors. Wow.